From a scientific point of view, this is riveting. If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed that could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. In the Buenos Aires case, there was no ancestry. It was bred and then it turned to human heart. On Darwin's own test, his theory has to fall down. Welcome to this third and final episode of our series with Ron Tesoriero, the one who is really commissioned by Christ himself to do this investigation, not only into the wounds of Christ with the stigmata that, we, that he filmed with Katya Rivas in Bolivia, but also with the investigations into the Eucharistic miracles that really prove beyond a shadow of the doubt the true presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. It's been an amazing journey thus far with Ron and allowing us at LifeSite to encourage you all to view his journey and to really research it yourself. You got to take a look at this because it is so fascinating. It brings out these truths. We, like Thomas the Apostle, are given the opportunity to witness through Ron and his work the wounds of Christ that we might ourselves be able to kneel down with Thomas and exclaim, my Lord and my God. And where is that most real? It's most real on this earth in the Blessed Sacrament. And Ron's proof positive that the Blessed Sacrament is indeed the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord by showing us that when examined, it, in these Eucharistic miracles, it changes into the heart tissue of our Lord and specific heart tissue with both times, uh, no possible viewing of a genetic code, which comes from mother and father. But when they went into the mitochondrial DNA, which can trace only the mother's line there, they found something. We want to bring to you this final episode uh, with Ron Tesoriero. This one really is also revolutionary because it attacks one of the sacred cows of our modern day. It's often said that science is opposed to religion and religious belief. Well, actually, no. You know, the, the, the Pope, especially Pope Benedict, talked about this total coherence between true science and true faith. That, though, takes into consideration the creation God's creation of human beings, of course, which conflicts with this sacred cow of evolution, Darwinian evolution being the absolute ultimate and the truth, which is sort of the death of God, if you listen to Richard Dawkins and his ilk. However, what Ron is able to show, these miracles, these Eucharistic miracles, which show that the Blessed Sacrament uh, gets transformed into human heart tissue with white blood cells, that's something that really does challenge evolution. Let's listen to Ron describing these findings himself. Hey there, friends. I just wanted to tell you about something in case you didn't already know it. LifeSite is in partnership with a group called St. Joseph's Partners because in today's day and age where things are getting more and more strange out there, we want to be sure that, you know, we have some reserves of gold and silver so that if debanking happens, which has happened before and, and seems to have gone on with the truckers and everything else, that we at least have some backup. 
Um, and so there's been a lot of investing in gold and silver. We wanted to find a company, though, that we could trust with our investments like that. And St. Joseph's Partners is such a company. Obviously, by their name, you know that they're Catholics, and we know that they're very, very faithful indeed. You can go check out the shows I did with Drew Mason, who is the founder of St. Joseph's Partners. But also, I wanted to tell you about a neat little project we did. And this is really for both support of LifeSite News, but also for gifts for those people who sort of have everything and you wonder what you can get for them. Well, we minted a coin, uh, a silver coin, and it's a one ounce silver round, they call it. It has a LifeSite on the front for our 25 year anniversary that we're celebrating, but also on the back, it commemorates the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision. So it's a collector item coin and uh, encourage you to grab one for yourself, grab one as a gift for that person who seems to have everything else. They might like it very much. And uh, please support us at LifeSite News by getting our coin. Uh, we've just printed under 10,000 of them. So it's a collector item, a limited edition. God bless you and thank you. And let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please, Ron, take us away. You recall in my commentary yesterday, I spoke about how I became involved in the scientific investigation of what was believed to be the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires. I, I took on a leading role in that investigation. The claim briefly was that a communion house was found abandoned in a church in a parish in Buenos Aires. It was picked up, um, it was placed into a bowl of water, put in the tabernacle and locked away. And then within a few days, a blood-like substance seemed to be coming from the host. Um, Pope Francis at the, um, was ultimately the, the Bishop of Buenos Aires and wanted it to investigate it. And I became part of that investigation. In fact, I led the investigation. As a lawyer, I was very concerned to make sure that I documented this whole part of the investigation, this, the testimony of the witnesses, the documentation of the uh, progress of taking samples, and then ultimately the filming um, of the interviews with people who examined the substance and, and they were told nothing about its origin. And the significant interview that, the, um, that I want to bring first in this, in, the, in, the, in this story is the one of the forensic pathologist in New York who um, looked at our sample down the microscope. Um, he looked at me, he said to me, he said, I can tell you exactly what this is. This is part of the muscle of the heart. It's that part of the muscle of the heart that gives the body, the heart its beat and the body its life from the left ventricle wall close to a valvular area. His expertise was the heart. And looking at this, he had no doubt that it was human, if it was heart, but he says, Infiltrated through this tissue is our white blood cells, and they're living white blood cells. They tell me two things. Firstly, that this heart was alive at the moment this sample was taken, and that this person suffered traumatic injuries. Injuries like I have seen when someone has been beaten severely around the chest. The the point that we're going to deal with today is um, those white blood cells that were found in that tissue, which they said were living white blood cells, that this heart was from a living person, not a dead person. 
So you've got a situation where this scientist is looking down the microscope at something that had its origin in the Catholic Church of a communion host that had transformed, now to be found that it was heart, human heart and it was infiltrated with living white blood cells. This is quite a traumatic um, story in a way because um, how can bread change to human heart if this man is right? And how can the it be from a living person and evidence of its life be visible in the white blood cells. This story has immense ramifications, not only, of course, from the point of view of uh, the church and the real presence, but for the scientific world. We, um, we probably the, the biggest question that man asks himself is, were we created or were we the product of an evolutionary process according to Darwinian evolutionary theory. They're the two options, either created or evolved. The, the, the answer to that question, whichever way it comes, affects mankind. If we are purely the product of an evolutionary process, then we are not accountable to anyone. We can make the rules up as we go. We're no different than animals that have evolved a bit further along in the, in the line of evolution. And so we mould our world and our thinking, our government, in accordance with that principle, and that's the current worldview. But if we are created, the whole thing changes. We, we are answerable to something. There's a moral code we must abide by, and our life takes on a different complexion. So that, the answer to that question is, is significant for humanity. This case has the potential to, show, to throw light on how that question can be answered. Um, I'll proceed with the argument. Those white blood cells um, are living cells. They are cells. If you look at the, the um, biology textbook, they'll say the cell is the basic unit of life. It's evident evidence of life. And the textbooks will tell you that a cell is the most complex item ever encountered in the study of biology. It's like a world of its own. It has a highway system, a command center. It has a waste system. It has a um, it, um, water supply system. It has a whole series of um, uh, components that all combine together to enable us to be able to function as human beings. The complexity is far more complex than a, a, the world's most advanced computer. And these tiny cells, hundreds of them can fit on the tip of a pin. That's how complex the cell is. And yet this man is looking down that microscope and saying, they're cells, that is life in its basic form. And as we say, if a cell has all that complexity, it is complex, there's something magic about that cell. Science says that cells come, only come from other existing cells. But that begs the question, where did the first cell come from? And how did it get to be so so magnificently designed to have purpose and function as we now see that cell? The scientific textbooks tell you the cell came together by itself over billions of years of evolution. It progressively formed to the complexity that we now see it. It, it is a product of, it, of evolution itself. And so that is the standard understanding of the origin of the cell. It's self-assembled. The textbooks tell you that and no other option. So we then have to go back and think to ourselves here, 
when we look at these cells, that is life that's come into being, but it's come into being from where life did not exist before. The communion host was bred inanimate. It's transformed into something which is life. And it occurs in the context of God in the Catholic Church. When you weigh all of these facts up, you have to come to a conclusion that when something doesn't exist and then it exists spontaneously and it's life, that's an act of creation. So what the only plausible explanation for how that life came into being in that situation was um, the only plausible explanation for that is that it was an act of creation by God. There's been no other instance I'm aware of where science can point to life having come into being spontaneously from non-living matter in, in, in this sort of form. The, the search for how life started has been going on for, for 100 years. Um, when the famous Oxford professor was asked in an interview not so long ago, you know, here's the man who says there's no God, he said, well, how did life started? And his answer was, we simply don't know. Ever, ever since the, the, the Russian scientist back 100 years ago claimed that he was on the verge of being able to work out how life started by trying to simulate early Earth conditions with matter and energy coming together and again producing the basic building blocks of life, life he says, we're on the verge of finding the answer. This was 100 years ago. They still haven't found the answer. Scientists have been working nonstop, if you'd like to put it that way, for 100 years trying to find out in what conditions might life have come into being. The standard textbooks, will, which the students use, say we, we think we have the answer. We think that 3.5 billion years ago, the matter and energy were in the right place at the right time for life to, to commence. And it's on that unproven foundation that everything proceeds in the evolutionary argument. There's no evidence that that's when life started. No one knows when, how, where. But yet in the Buenos Aires case, we do know where, when, we don't know how, but life has come into being in this particular context. So the Buenos Aires case has facts which, which we, from which we can observe what has happened. We have documentation about it. We have scientific analysis of it. Um, so we are able, in a full forensic sort of way, to be able to demonstrate here are a, here is a factual situation where life has come into being from where it didn't exist before, of which there's no other evidence of it having come into being elsewhere. So it has to be a very re relevant consideration from a scientific point of view on the whole question of the evidence of life, on the origin of life. One issue, of course, is the, the white blood cells. The other issue is this man looking down the microscope is saying, this is a human, this is human heart. Well, we, um, I'll, I'll read my from my notes because it's it's very it's clear. I'm sure the reader, will, will the, the watcher, uh, the viewer of the program, will appreciate why I read it because it's 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 well considered 
and relevant to a proper understanding of what I'm about to say. That forensic pathologist was clear in his report that the material was human cardiac muscle from the left ventricle wall close to a valvular area. The heart tissue spontaneously came, came into existence from non-living matter. The physical evidence of this exists today and the circumstances of how it happened are known. The chain of evidence has been meticulously documented. There was no evolutionary process that preceded the coming into being of the human heart from which that tissue came. Evolutionists typically select a complex organ of the human body and compare it with an organ that looks like that in a simpler creature on the branch lower down on the evolutionary path. The assertion is that the human heart didn't just turn up in the way that it exists today. Instead, it developed in stages over millions of years. The basic version goes something like this. First, there was an invertebrate stage with no heart as such, just a muscle system punch, pumping blood. Then it evolved into a rudimentary form of heart like a fish. Then it progressed to a three-chambered frog heart. Then a three-and-a-half-chambered turtle heart. Then to a bird heart. And finally, to a four-chambered human heart. But how do evolutionists account for the evidence in the Buenos Aires case with the spontaneous host to human heart? There was no billions of years of evolution, no prior invertebrate, no prior fish, no frog, no turtle. There were no intermediary, intermediary steps. There was no evolution whatsoever. Darwin himself laid out a test for his own theory in his book, The Origin of Species. And he said, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed that could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. In the Buenos Aires case, there was no ancestry. Bread, there was bread, and then it turned to human heart. On Darwin's own test, his theory has to fall down. Also, the essence of evolution lies in the conviction that all forms of life on Earth today are a product of an evolutionary process. There can be no exceptions. All means all. If there is one exceptions, exception, the theory must fall down. You can't say all life is a product of evolutionary process when, in our case, we've got life, human, and there was no Darwinian tree below feeding up to that point. He says, you can't have that, otherwise my theory is nothing. So there's a second point of his failure. So um, this event in, in Buenos Aires is, has been replicated, as we mentioned yesterday, in other countries. In uh, Tixla in Mexico in 2006, in Sokolka in Poland 2009, and in Lignica in Poland in 2000, 2013. In each of these countries, there was an incident similar to what happened in Buenos Aires. A communion host had transformed into another substance. The scientific examination revealed that this substance was human heart and a heart that suffered. These were different witnesses. These were different laboratories. were different dioceses, but yet all having the same phenomenon. So from a scientific point of view, this is riveting because it, it is a, you know, just 
one instance by itself might be interesting. When it's multiplied three times in other countries, and then it's something that we have to take notice of. Each of these cases, there are eyewitness testimonies. There's scientific analysis by experts. The conclusion they've come to when bread has turned to human heart are not grounded in superstition or by defying reason, but on, an, but on an interpretation of observed facts. We live in a world where it's assumed that science is the gold standard of all knowledge. And faith is the preserve of faith and superstition. That's what we think. But what happens when science affirms the reality of bread having changed into human flesh and blood in all of these cases? We've inherited a worldview from the Enlightenment that there are no such things as miracles. There are no God. These things don't happen. It's an affront to our intelligence to believe that such a thing could happen. Science is the answer for the questions that we have in our, our world. That's the Enlightenment thinking. But all of a sudden now, it's all turned on its, on its, over on itself because it's now science saying what you discarded is wrong. This is a reality. But the, the, those scientists working on this whole question of the origin of life are still of the mindset, of course, that there's no natural, there's a natural explanation for everything. They're not expecting that when they do this search, there's going to be another answer to the one that they assume is going to be the answer, namely a natural process. It's interesting that Harvard University, one of the most prestigious universities in the world, 14 years ago, set upon a campaign or program to try and work out what was the origin of life. Been going 14 years, there are 30 professors all working away at trying to work out the answer. Like they, no one's been able to find an instance of where life has come into being in the, in, initially on Earth. So it's presumed it must have happened on a planet outside of Earth. And so they're working on how could life have been somewhere else and then seeded itself on Earth through a meteor or something or other. 30, what's that, 14 years, 30 professors, they still haven't got the answer. But what's interesting is what the leader of that team, Professor of Chemical Biology, David Liu, said at the beginning, my expectation is that we will be able to reduce this to a very simple series of logical events that could have taken place with no divine intervention. So they've already worked the answer out. There's no God. It couldn't be from them. They can't work it out naturally. But now they've got something to have a look at, which is the Buenos Aires case, which should give them the answer they're looking for. But who knows how long that might, might be before that happens. We know that God has been excluded from the science class because of the worldview that we evolved. Um, uh, the argument is that um, creation, the creation story is based upon superstition, not science. You know, you can't bring into the science class into the science class something that you you can't produce any evidence scientifically about there being a god. So you can't come in with your stuff. All of a sudden, things have changed because now we have a scientific basis for faith. It has to be put there in juxtaposition to the claim that we evolved. 
when we have new evidence, which as, as distinct from assumptions, we have new evidence from which we can make a better assessment about the origin of life and the, and the origin of man. Um, we know how hard it is for students growing up these days to believe in God because they go to school and universities and they're given textbooks and the textbooks have a chapter on this on the question of the origin of life. They talk about how it may have happened 14, 3.5 billion years ago. There's no suggestion that this might be wrong. It's saying that's when it happened. We're just trying to still trying to find out just exactly how it happened. And so they come away, students come away from the from the from their schools and universities with this idea that God isn't part of the picture. And in fact, he's dramatically removed from the picture when the, the uh, we have people like Richard Dawkins saying to believe in God is a delusion. You know, you, you're not fully mentally working if you believe in something you can't see. You know, there is no God. So it's no wonder that you find in the last 30 years belief in God throughout the, throughout the world has diminished significantly compared to a, the way it was. And that's basically because of the, the, the chorus of voices that say there's nothing to religion. Evolution is the answer. Evolution is creative. Look what it does. Look at this world around us. It all happened through this process. So I think that the, um, there's a lot to think about in the consequences of this story. But what I would like to um, come to now is that I worked with uh, a doctor um, Robert Lawrence from San Francisco, who was a forensic pathologist. His background was that he is the son of the famous Ernest Lawrence, who won the Nobel Prize for inventing the cyclotron, which split the atom and started the nuclear age. And when we were working on this case, he said, I wish my father was here to give us some, give us some good understanding of what I'm dealing with. But in the end, he wrote to me after I'd written the latest book, My Human Heart, and said, Ron, it will make us scientists rethink all our concepts. I am not religious. You present a convincing argument in favour of a creative agency and make Darwinian evolution an inadequate explanation of how the world and its inhabitants came to be. A very concise and significant comment from someone who worked on these cases and had to scratch his head as he pondered on what he was examining in the course of this story. So it's, it's a momentous finding. Can you imagine how it would be if this was true and Darwinian evolutionary theory didn't have the legs that it's claimed to have? What would happen to our universities, the teaching of the evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology, evolutionary medicine, all on a basis of an assumption about how life started and how life evolved. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. There remains another portion to your story, I think, 
that really should be talked about at least a little bit. And it pertains specifically to Pope Francis. He really, because he was the bishop there in Buenos Aires when you launched this effort now more than 20 years ago, it's seen your life's work go in a totally different direction. I, I think when you started, you weren't expecting that this would go on for so long. This journey has seen you lose one of your partners, uh, Mike Willessey, the, the famous uh, Australian investigative journalist who worked with you for so many years. Also, it saw you tragically lose your wife. And um, so this has been a, a lifelong pursuit, sort of set up for you by our Lord, I'm sure. But the same bishop who initially set you out on this is now the Pope. Is now the Pope who stands sort of in the way of you being able to finish the journey with the Shroud of Turin. If you could explain what that finishing piece would be and uh, your letter to Pope Francis back in 2019. In the course of the 20 years of examination of this Eucharistic phenomenon in Buenos Aires, we did a series of tests, both pathology and DNA testing. The pathology testing was riveting in many ways because not only did it show that there was human flesh and blood, heart tissue, but it also showed that, the, um, that there was suffering uh, of this person. And that suffering was something that was reflected in the ultimate mitochondrial DNA testing. We, as I mentioned in the previous interview, we were unable to get a human genetic profile from the neck, the nucleus. But when we proceeded to more advanced testing with single cell technology and with the latest in forensics, probing the non-coding region of the human genome, we were able to get mitochondrial information which would point to the maternal ancestry of the person we're talking about. So we have got interesting markers for comparison with what we believe to be the blood on the Shroud of Turin. Um, it's the, if, there is, if God is allowing through this us to find human heart, human tissue, living, it must come from someone. We know in, in the scheme of things what Jesus says, that is my flesh and my blood. It wouldn't be anyone else's. So if that's the case, and we've been given through science these days the ability to go so far with forensics and genetics, the last point in this path of investigation is to have a look at blood on the Shroud of Turin, which we firmly believe is the burial cloth of Christ and on which there is blood from, the, from his crucifixion. Potentially, there is the, science will be able, I think, from, from the progression we're now seeing from what's been done, that we'll be able to probe the information that's in the blood on the Shroud using the same sort of technique that we've used in the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires. We know that the Eucharistic miracle finding, this was from a living person. We know that the blood on the shroud is from a dead person. Could you imagine if they matched, if the scientific findings matched? The person who was once dead is now alive in the Eucharist. And it would be science that tells us that. 
That's one corollary of the potential resulting of testing. And that's mammoth for the church. Uh, yeah, I, I do see a plan of God in this, the coincidence, the coincidence that he was the man who started the story, who has presumably followed it, and could see the logic of what my next step, proposed next step would be. And coincidentally, the only person who can allow that next step is the man who's the Pope now. And it's up to him. I wrote to the Pope saying, this is, remember, I met you and presented to you the initial findings of Dr. Zugabi. Since that time, over the next 15 odd years, I've progressed in the DNA research and the examination of, of the Eucharistic miracle with the, the latest of forensics. Here's what we're up to. It seems logical to finish this story by make, doing this next step. I, I seek your permission for this next step to happen. I honestly believe that it will happen in time because I don't think the, 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 anything lacks in the logic, in the suggestion. But I think the fear is that there's this negative sentiment about the shroud and the fear that something could happen scientifically which could take away all of this um, feeling that this is for real. Uh, but I think you have to, you have to, at some stage through science, um, take that step because I think that the fact that you don't is more of an indication of your uh, failure to believe in its truth than, than not doing it, particularly with this background. And um, so I'm optimistic about it. The many, many things will follow from that. Mind you, it's not without um, good reason that I say there's a parallel in information from the Eucharistic miracle with the Shroud of Turin, because we already know that the Shroud demonstrates that there has been physical torture, that this person has been beaten, has been crucified, um, and suffered traumatic, traumatic injury. So you've got parallels there. We've got um, all of our previous studies have shown in the phenomenon of the statue of Christ in Bolivia, immense suffering that's produced these wounds on a statue that are human. We've got the same phenomenon in the Eucharistic miracle. We've already got a pattern of convergence of information in those two stories. The third one is just waiting to happen in terms of the process of examination for verification. So um, I'm confident, but it's a, a great thing to look forward to, and I hope it happens. Pope Francis has an awesome potential here, as he did when he was first elected Pope, actually, because he was a man who was almost fearless. That hasn't panned out in the way we expected it to at the beginning. In fact, it's, it's gone in a very different direction. However, a lot of people have been praying uh, for Pope Francis. And what a gift it would be to have him allow this and therefore be able to give to the world, even himself, because the originating bishop, uh, to give to the world himself the proof of Christ's true presence in the Blessed Sacrament. It might not happen with this Pope, but as Katya Rivas revealed to you, it will happen. <laughs> and I think even if that's with this Pope or, or with a future Pope, It'll be, it'll be really something. It'll be an opportunity once again for Christ to show his presence on earth, which is seemingly so lacking for all of us.
even though he's already performed Act One in the Buenos Aires miracle itself. I mean, it is a, an amazing demonstration of God stepping into our world in a way that we've been inviting him to do for ages. You know, if you're there, show us yourself. He did show us himself. And of all places, in a Catholic church, not, you know, at the beach or wherever it is that people want to find God. We will join you in praying that Pope Francis will will heed this request. And um, it would be so glorious to finish your investigation. There will be members of the clergy, bishops and whoever, who watch your program, who could be inspired by what I presented and could present the logic to the Pope. In fact, one of the major cardinals in America who I've approached has said on his next visit to the Pope, he will raise the subject. So that's a good sign. He was, it's, it's one of the top cardinals of America. So, um, yeah, hopefully others will do the same. Um, and, um, and as you say, with prayer, anything can happen. And let's hope Pope Francis um, sees the, the wisdom in it. Mind you, he comes from a background where, I mean, the Jesuits usually are not 100%. I, don't, I say this generally. I might have heard the expression that some Jesuits believe that God does not perform party tricks, you know, perform miracles. He did it all before. It all ended. You know, there's no such thing as God intervening today. But they're, they're, they're a minority. But then again, it's not uncommon to find people of that view who are religious. But here we've got evidence that God does do things, and for a reason, and he certainly has done that here. Ron, thank you so very much for sharing your journey with us. And uh, it's been an incredible, incredible journey to, to share. I want everyone to go out, not only to get your book, um, but also to view your videos at reasontobelieve.com.au. Ron, just thank you so very much. God bless you. It was a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for your sympathetic understanding to this very interesting subject. Thank you again, and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.